Episode 12. Chapter 5. In the low-ceilinged canteen, deep underground, the lunch queue jerked slowly forward. The room was already very full and deafeningly noisy. From the grill at the counter, the steam of stew came pouring forth with a sour metallic smell which did not quite overcome the fumes of victory gin. On the far side of the room, there was a small bar, a mere hole in the wall where gin could be bought for 10 cents a large nip. Just the man I was looking for, said a voice at Winston's back. He turned around. It was his friend, Sim, who worked in the research department. Perhaps friend was not exactly the right word. You did not have friends nowadays. You had comrades. But there were some comrades whose society was pleasanter than that of others. Sim was a philologist, a specialist in newspeak. Indeed, he was one of the enormous team of experts now engaged in compiling the 11th edition of the Newspeak Dictionary. He was a tiny creature, smaller than Winston, with dark hair and large protuberant eyes, at once mournful and derisive, which seemed to search your face closely while he was speaking to you. I wanted to ask you whether you've got any razor blades, he said. Not one, said Winston, with a sort of guilty haste. I've tried all over the place. They don't exist any longer. Everyone kept asking you for razor blades. Actually, he had two unused ones, which he was hoarding up. There had been a famine of them for months past. At any given moment, there was some necessary article which the party shops were unable to supply. Sometimes it was buttons. Sometimes it was darning wool. Sometimes it was shoelaces. At present, it was razor blades. You could only get hold of them, if at all, by scrounging more or less furtively on the free market. I've been using the same blade for weeks, he added, untruthfully. The queue gave another jerk forward. As they halted, he turned and faced Sim again. Each of them took a greasy metal tray from a pile at the end of the counter. Did you see the prisoners hanged yesterday, said Sim. I was working, said Winston indifferently. I shall see it on the flicks, I supposed. A very inadequate substitute, said Sim. His mocking eyes roved over Winston's face. I know you, the eyes seem to say. I see through you. I know very well why you didn't go to see those prisoners hanged. In an intellectual way, Sim was venomously orthodox. He would talk with a disagreeable, gloating satisfaction of helicopter raids on enemy villages and trials and confessions of thought criminals the executions in the cellars of the Ministry of Love. Talking to him was largely a matter of getting him away from such subjects and entangling him, if possible, in the technicalities of Newspeak, on which he was authoritative and interesting. Winston turned his head a little aside to avoid the scrutiny of the large, dark eyes. 
It was a good hanging, said Sim reminiscently. I think it spoils it when they tie their feet together. I like to see them kicking. And above all, at the end, the tongue sticking right out. A blue, a quite bright blue. <laughs> That's the detail that appeals to me. Next, please, yelled the white-aproned prole with a ladle. Winston and Sim pushed their trays beneath the grill. On to each was dumped swiftly the regulation lunch, a metal pannikin of pinkish-gray stew, a hunk of bread, a cube of cheese, a mug of milkless victory coffee, and one saccharin tablet. There's a table over there under the telescreen, said Sim. Let's pick up a gin on the way. The gin was served out to them in handleless china mugs. They threaded their way across the crowded room and unpacked their trays onto the metal-topped table, on one corner of which someone had left a pool of stew, a filthy liquid mess that had the appearance of vomit. Winston took up his mug of gin, paused for an instant to collect his nerve, and gulped the oily tasting stuff down. When he had winked the tears out of his eyes, he suddenly discovered that he was hungry. He began swallowing spoonfuls of the stew, which, in amongst its general sloppiness, had cubes of spongy pinkish stuff, which was probably a preparation of meat. Neither of them spoke again till they had emptied their pannikins. From the table at Winston's left, a little behind his back, someone was talking rapidly and continuously, a harsh gabble almost like the quacking of a duck which pierced the general uproar of the room. How's the dictionary getting on, said Winston, raising his voice to overcome the noise. Slowly, said Sim, I'm on the adjectives. It's fascinating. He had brightened up immediately at the mention of Newspeak. He pushed his pannikin aside, took up his hunk of bread in one delicate hand and his cheese in the other, and leaned across the table so as to be able to speak without shouting. The 11th edition is the definitive edition, he said. We're getting the language into its final shape, the shape it's going to have when nobody speaks anything else. When we've finished with it, people like you will have to learn it all over again. You think, I dare say, that our chief job is inventing new words, but not a bit of it. We're destroying words, scores of them, hundreds of them, every day. We're cutting the language down to the bone. The 11th edition won't contain a single word that will become obsolete before the year 2050. He bit hungrily into his bread and swallowed a couple of mouthfuls then continued speaking with a sort of pedant's passion. His thin, dark face had become animated. His eyes had lost their mocking expression and grown almost dreamy. It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words. Of course, the great wastage is in the verbs and adjectives, but there are hundreds of nouns that can be got rid of as well. It isn't only the synonyms, there are also the antonyms. After all, what justification is there for a word which is simply the opposite of some other word? A word contains its opposite in itself. Take good, for instance. If you have a word like good, 
What need is there for a word like bad? Ungood will do just as well. Better, because it's an exact opposite, which the other is not. Or again, if you want a stronger version of good, what sense is there in having a whole string of vague, useless words like excellent and splendid and all the rest of them? Plus good covers the meaning, or double plus good if you want something stronger still. Of course, we use those forms already, but in the final version of Newspeak, there'll be nothing else. In the end, the whole notion of goodness and badness will be covered by only six words. In reality, only one word. Don't you see the beauty of that, Winston? It was B.B.'s idea originally, of course, he added as an afterthought. A sort of vapid eagerness flitted across Winston's face at the mention of Big Brother. Nevertheless, Sim immediately detected a certain lack of enthusiasm. You haven't a real appreciation of Newspeak, Winston, he said, almost sadly. You haven't a real appreciation of Newspeak, Winston, he said, almost sadly. Even when you write it, you're still thinking in old speak. I've read some of those pieces you write in the Times occasionally. They're good enough, but they're translations. In your heart, you'd prefer to stick to old speak with all its vagueness and its useless shades of meaning. You don't grasp the beauty of the destruction of words. Do you know that Newspeak is the only language in the world whose vocabulary gets smaller every year? Winston did know that, of course. He smiled sympathetically, he hoped, not trusting himself to speak. Sim bit off another fragment of the dark-colored bread, chewed it briefly, and went on. Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible, because there will be no words in which to express it. Every concept that can ever be needed will be expressed by exactly one word, with its meaning rigidly defined and all its subsidiary meanings rubbed out and forgotten. Already in the 11th edition, we're not far from that point. But the process will still be continuing long after you and I are dead. Every year, fewer and fewer words and the range of consciousness always a little smaller. Even now, of course, there's no reason or excuse for committing thought crime. It's merely a question of self-discipline, reality control. But in the end, there won't be any need even for that. The revolution will be complete when the language is perfect. Newspeak is Ingsoc, and Ingsoc is Newspeak, he added with a sort of mystical satisfaction. Has it ever occurred to you, Winston, that by the year 2050, at the very latest, not a single human being will be alive who could understand such a conversation as we are having now.